Welcome to the Shady Grove Radio Podcast, a production of Shady Grove United Methodist Church in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, This week we'll hear a sermon from Pastor Darcy entitled, At the Water's Edge, Are You Thirsty? Based on John 4, 1 through 26, and 39 through 42. Turn your radio on. Good morning, my name is Janet Lewis and I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. John 4, 1 through 26. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sahar, Sahar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me of this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw the water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father 
neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. John 4, 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for uh, this account, this encounter within the gospel. We pray, God, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. For indeed, O oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. God, help us to sense our own thirsts and to bring before you um, the truth of how we are seeking to quench those desires and those needs deep within us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, can you remember a time when you were really thirsty? I mean, a time when thirst became all that you could think about and finding a water source became your top priority. Maybe it was when you were doing yard work out in the yard a couple hours, 90 degree heat, 90% humidity, and you've been working and suddenly it just is right before you. I am so thirsty. Maybe it was after um, a more intense time of exercise. Maybe it was on the hiking trail. Maybe some morning you just woke up um, and your, your mouth was so parched. You were like, no, 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 no coffee, no tea. I want water. Water is all that will truly satisfy at this moment. Um, now, a sidebar on water access. This is, a, this is somewhat of a sidebar. We really are so privileged, right, that for most of us, um, securing a water source is not a day's activity or several hours long, um, and it's not a precarious situation in order to find water, right? I mean, just think about when we go home, we have multiple taps that will give us the exact temperature that we prefer, and we can take a glass and put it into underneath a tap, or maybe it's the dispenser on our refrigerators, and out is going to come cool, drinkable, safe water. I mean, the, the gratitude that we feel for this basic need being constantly met in our lives 
it's really a big deal, amen? And we, it also motivates us to want to serve so that everybody has access to this life-giving source. Okay, back to this. But can you identify in your life a time when thirst was priority number one? I can remember an instance when, in my own life, when I was uh, training for the Richmond Marathon. I was training in 2016. I'd been a longtime runner, but it was my first marathon. And I signed up with the marathon training team because somebody will notice if you don't show up, right? And not only the accountability, um, but they would plan out the routes for you. They'd give you a training schedule. You'd choose a, a day to do a long run with the rest of the team, Saturdays or Sundays. Can you guess which day I chose, right? Um, but they'd also, and most importantly, they'd set up aid stations along the route. So there'd be water and power aid and snacks. And I remember this was a long run day. We were running 20 miles that day. We we're getting close to the date of the marathon. And I rolled up to the 12-mile aid station, and they had run out of water. Now, they were literally, it was on the way. They were going to be there in just a few minutes. But I thought, no, I can make it to mile 16 aid station because I really just want this to be over. Amen? It was about 80 degrees. It was already humid. But when I got to about mile 14, I started feeling a little off. And then about, about mile 15, I felt oddly cold and overheated at the same time. And I was so, so parched. And then I saw it the promised land in the form of a sprinkler in somebody's front yard, amen? <laughs> so I ran over to it and I basically jumped on the sprinkler and put my face into that water and it was just like manna from heaven and it, I was drinking that water and then what happened? The owner came out, yeah, he sure did, <laughs> he sure did. But you know what he came out with? A glass of ice water in his hand. He's like, training for the marathon, huh? I was like, oh my gosh, you have no idea. He was like, yeah. And it was the most beautiful thing I have ever drank. <laughs> but I will always remember the utter desperate thirst. It wasn't just what I needed or preferred. It was what I needed. Um, it wasn't just what I wanted. It was what I needed. And we also know, maybe you can think back to those times, but we also know that thirst is not only physical, um, but it's also metaphorical. Um, we have deep core thirsts and needs in our lives. For example, uh, we thirst for relationship and connection. We, we need that as human beings. We thirst um, for meaning and purpose in our lives. We, we thirst uh, for security. We need to know that we are safe. Um, we thirst to know that we have value, that we have worth. For some of us, this parlays into feeling competent or like we are we're good at something that we can do in our lives. These are some of these deep needs. But here's an ultimate question that I think follows us all throughout life, and it's this. With what or with whom are we trying to meet these core needs and these deep thirsts? How are we trying to meet those needs? And those, those ways, those means, do they, do they give life or do they take life? Um, do they quench our thirst for these deep things or do they leave us feeling dehydrated and never quite satisfied? 
Well, this is the question that is framing our gospel encounter today, um, because we are week three in our worship series called At the Water's Edge. We're surrounded, um, and remember, we're looking at different scripture passages that use water as a means, as a symbol to convey deeper gospel truth. So the very first Sunday, we looked at the cleansing power of God, the cleansing power in Psalm 51, um, that God can cleanse us and forgive us from the messes that we make and give us the wisdom um, and the strength to make reparation, to receive and to give forgiveness. It's a powerful thing to live as a liberated person within this life who knows forgiveness and can extend it to others. Uh, last week, we asked, along with the gospel reading, uh, who's in your boat? Uh, Jesus in the boat with the disciples on the sea or the lake of Galilee when a storm whips up. Jesus calms the storm. We talked about how Jesus and Jesus alone has the authority to speak into our lives and say, peace, be still, especially when the storms are raging. Well, today, the water's edge comes in the form of someone's burning thirst and how Jesus meets them. Today, the water's edge comes to us in the form of a well. It's where Jesus meets an unnamed Samaritan woman at the water's edge. Now, this encounter occurs, um, as we heard in the children's sermon, um, the children's message, in a town called Sakar in the region known as Samaria. Now, some Jewish history, um, and this was so wonderfully laid out, some Jewish history is really necessary to understand this encounter, to provide some texture, some context, to know the significance of what was occurring between Jesus and this woman. So the Israelite kingdom, it began as a unified monarchy. It began under kings uh, Saul and David and Solomon, but then in 930 BCE, the kingdom split into north and south. Um, and the northern kingdom was named Israel, the capital city Samaria, the southern kingdom um, was uh, Jerusalem was its capital city, and it was named Judah. And wherever there are borders and there are dividers that are laid down, what can happen is that prejudices or bias begin to percolate. And then they can boil up and they can at times erupt. And then Israel, northern kingdom, fell in 722 BCE. The southern kingdom of Judah survived, rebuilt during sieges and exile and attacks. And the border shifted and shifted and shifted until we have modern-day Israel with the capital city or, or the sort of spiritual capital of Jerusalem. And so at the time when Jesus met this woman at the well, the current cultural situation was this, that Jews associated with the southern kingdom and Jerusalem considered the people in the northern kingdom associated with Samaria, the Samaritans, to be ethnic outcasts. They were people who were seen as beneath them. They were to be avoided. In fact, a, a Jew would rather be caught dead than spending time with a Samaritan. But that is precisely what Jesus is doing in our scripture passage. That he, a Jew, chose to go into Samaria when most Jews would not set their big toe within Samaria if they could help it. And yet Jesus chose to go there and he took his disciples with him. Now, they end up at high noon at this well in Sakar. When a woman comes to fetch 
water from the well. Now, the fact that she's coming at high noon, the hottest part of the day, who wants to be outside right now at high noon, right? No, thank you. Um, but it tells us something about who she is, perhaps her past, her present, even before Jesus goes deeper with some questions that he asks of her. Because women usually went to draw water uh, twice a day. They went early morning so that their family would have all that they needed during the day, and they went right before supper, before the sun went down, so that they would have water for supper and for washing up and preparing for a new day. So they avoided the hottest part of the day when the, the sun was directly above them and beating down on them. Um, so it also afforded them, they knew when everybody was going to the well, right? And so they knew that everybody was going to be there so they could get together and they could talk. And they could swap stories and share life. Um, it was sort of the, you know, first century Instagram or Snapchat, amen, except that it was in real time and face-to-face. -face. Um, but this woman came to draw water from the well at noon. She went at a specific time when she knew that nobody else would be there. She was avoiding seeing anyone else. Well, there she was. She came, and what she found far exceeded any expectations that she could have had. She met Jesus, who, tired and thirsty after a day's travel, looks to her and says, will you give me a drink? And because of the cultural baggage that sort of stacked up between any Jew and Samaritan talking to each other, she says, how can you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? Here she is. She's a woman. She's in a public place. She's got a reputation. And she's a Samaritan. I can imagine if the disciples, if they turned up at this very moment, um, they would probably have said, Jesus, can we not leave you for five minutes without you breaking some social norm in the name of God, right? In the name of compassion. They said, you are going to get us kicked out of this county. And then they thought, maybe that's good, get us kicked out of this county, because they probably didn't want to be there. But Jesus would have said to them, my dear, dear friends, there is no border that I will not cross. There is no prejudice that I will not tear down. There is no mountain that I will not climb. There is no lie that I will not tear down in order to meet somebody who is thirsty. And that's what Jesus does. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God who was offering you this drink, um, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Because everyone who drinks this well water, they're going to get thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I give to you, it's going to well up within you. It's going to quench the deepest of your thirst now and forever. Well, this woman, I love it. If nothing else, she's a pragmatist, right? She goes, give me this water because I'm sick of coming to this well. She's like, this is the worst chore there is. It's worse than laundry. Because every time she would come to the well... At high noon, the sun baking on her back, she'd be confronted with how she was isolated, alone, and disconnected. Give me this water, she says, so I don't have to come back to this well. So then Jesus deepens a conversation, and he says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, that's right, you've had five. And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. But notice that Jesus, he doesn't go on to condemn her, to label her, or to pigeonhole her. Uh, the only judgment he pronounces 
is that he knows her situation. He relays to her that God knows her situation. And in this moment of vulnerability, did you, do you hear in the scripture what she did? She changed the subject. <laughs> Love it. She said, wait a second. And I wonder if in, in her mind she was like, oh, wait. She said, you're a prophet. And I wonder if she thought, wait a second, are you one of those religious people who are going to judge me and make me feel worse about myself than I already do? Well, I'm not interested. She tried to take it to sort of a cerebral, historical level, um, a cultural level, and Jesus, Jesus brings it right back to the personal, to her. Um, Jesus did not name her life to condemn her. He wanted to let her know that God, first and foremost, knows her life. Because she'd gone back to that well day after day, and she'd worn, well-worn, ruts into an unhealthy life patterns or patterns. She was trying to quench her soul's thirst with that which would never satisfy her and had left her feeling disconnected. So Jesus let her know that God knows and that God was offering her a new way. You know, I, I remember when we lived in England, we lived and served in England for three years in the British Methodist Church, and the oldest church in town uh, was St. John's, still is St. John's. Uh, it was founded in 1130, and it's a beautiful Norman-style church, um, and it just happened to be right across the church from the, the town church that I served, very modern, you know, only built in the 1830s. Um, and the interesting thing about St. John's is they always kept their doors open every day. Um, even, even though there was some vandalism, some theft, they kept the doors open every day so that people could come in. Anyhow, I got in the habit of working in my home office in the morning, and then I would walk down to the town church that I served, and I would often stop in at St. John's and just sit in that beautiful sacred space um, and pray and be still before God. And I noticed... Uh, because I was getting in a, a routine, I'd go around lunchtime, I saw the same woman there. Then she was just sitting there, and we'd, we'd wave and smile and exchange pleasantries. And um, one day, though, we were walking out, and I asked her, I said, do you worship here? She goes, no, no, not, no, I don't. And we talked a while longer, longer and she said, she just kind of went on to share a little bit of her life, and she said, you know, over a year ago, my boyfriend broke up with me. And we'd been together for many years, and um, I was just devastated because I thought we were going to get married. I thought we were going to have children. We were going to buy a house. We were going to grow old together. We were going to do vacations. Um, and she said, I built my life around him, what he thought, what he wanted. I poured myself into his. And when he left, he took the only future I could see. And I didn't know what to do, she said. And at my lowest point, what I really didn't know, if I could or even wanted to go on, something came into my mind, and it was this. Cast your cares upon God, for God cares for you. And she looked at me and she said, it's in the Bible. And I said, you don't say. <laughs> I said, you go to church growing up? She goes, no, not really, but my grandma and my grandpa took me to church. And I said, huh, that's how it got in there, amen. And it was, she said it was like this flicker of hope, so I started praying, 
and asking God to help me. And she said, it's taken time um, and therapy, she laughed, um, but God has built me back up. And I didn't realize how lost and unhappy I was. So sometimes, she said, on my lunch break, I just come and I sit here, I suppose, to say thank you. You know, this woman knew a profound thirst, the thirst we all have, and she hoped that a relationship would quench that need for companionship and love, and she was longing for something deep, and she thought she had it. But then her source dried up. It evaporated because people can do that to you, you know. But even in this broken time, maybe particularly in this broken time, in her high noon, living water found her. Maybe you too know this kind of thirst. We all have them. These are the deepest longings that drive us to know that we're secure, that we're competent, that we're known, that we're valued, that we have meaning and we have purpose. Again, the question is to whom or to what do we look to quench this kind of thirst? I mean, and it makes sense that to a certain extent, we look to significant relationships, um, to our family, to our work, to our friends in order to find some of this, but they cannot, nor were they designed to, meet the very deepest of our soul's needs. If we look to other people or our accomplishments or our portfolios, our connections or the school we went to or the friend group that we run with to meet these deep needs, we're always going to wind up thirsty and maybe even at times dying of thirst. And this is what Jesus said to the woman at the well and says to each of us, it, it may be high noon or it may be in the middle of the night. He says, I can give you what you need. I can give you what you've been looking for what you've been longing for. I can give you that core security, purpose, worth. I can give it to you not just for this lifetime, but for all eternity. And with your souls quenched in me, Jesus says, you're going to know life in its fullness. You're not going to walk around either bloated with self-importance and arrogance, nor are you going to walk around dehydrated and feeling unworthy. You're going to know living water and be able to walk with humble confidence in this world. And this woman, she took what Jesus was offering and she drank deeply. She did. Do you know how we know that she did this? Because she went back to the town and she told anybody who would listen. <laughs> she told them, I met a man who told me everything I had ever done. And at first, some people might have snickered and said, whew, that was a long afternoon, amen? But she didn't care, because notice that the exact source of her shame and guilt, everything I've ever done, became the exact place where she could praise and glorify God. Look, she said, I'm a life being redeemed. In fact, many biblical scholars call her the first evangelist of the scriptures, this Samaritan unnamed woman. From verse 39, many Samaritans from that city believed in Jesus because of the women's testimony. He told me everything that I have ever done. Because that's what happens. Peace happens, hope happens, and worth happens when we look to Jesus 
to meet our soul's thirst with only that which he can give, living water. Let us pray. God, we ask that over the coming days and weeks that we might, by your grace, take a good look at our core needs and how we are trying to meet them. How are we trying to find peace or contentment? How are we trying to find relationship and connection? How are we trying to find security? And God, help us to recognize the the parched places in our lives so that we can more fully receive what you are offering. In the name of Jesus. Get a little heaven down in your soul. Get in touch with God. And turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Well, turn your radio on. And listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Let glory share. Turn your lights down. Turn your lights down low. And listen to the master's radio. Get in touch with